Happy Easter. Yeah, it's great. So exciting. Let's see if I can trip over this thing behind me today. That'll be fun. Something to talk about. We've got lots to talk about today, though. Uh, this is um, the most epic thing. In, in fact, this is the linchpin to all of our hope as for those of us who are followers of Jesus. If today doesn't happen, not whatever day it is, April, what day is it? April 17th, 2022. Not because of today itself, but what today represents that this is really the linchpin to all of our hope. If you remove this, everything falls apart. Christianity is not a religion like any other religion. Rather, it's all about resurrection. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. And so, uh, two housekeeping things first. Um, St. Jack's, we share the space with them, meaning that they're in the larger room. Well, they're going to have a really big kids thing. And guess where it's going to be? Right above us. So... Many of you live in Montreal apartments, and uh, your landlords are too cheap to soundproof them. So, uh, you're going to hear that, and we wanted to make you feel like home this morning, right? So, you're welcome. You're welcome. That noise is going to happen. Uh, second thing, we're going to talk about celebratory things. Now, maybe you're more intellectual and cerebral, and you're used to reading a good book and seeing a good point and going, hmm. But if you feel like saying something, if you feel like going, yes. You know, that's okay, right? This is all celebration today, right? We're here to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done. And if you're here and you're like, man, I don't believe in, in any of this stuff, I'm so glad you're here. And I would give you a C.S. Lewis challenge, not to try and be C.S. Lewis, but um, he asked people, okay, you can't believe in the resurrection, but could you imagine that it's true? Could you, for the next 30-ish minutes, imagine that this were true? And if it were true, what would it do to your life? So I want to invite you into that. Let me pray, and then we will get going with this. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are here. We believe you're here. We believe that, that life is really all about you. For so many of us, you've seemingly hijacked our life. You've changed our course. You've given us new allegiance, new devotion, uh, new worship. We thank you. There are others of us who are here that we don't, we don't yet know if we believe and, and we can all um, relate. We can all relate to being in that place and, and we would say that it wasn't until you showed up in a very tangible way in our lives so that we understood that you were there that, that we gave our hearts and our, our worship and our allegiance to you. So I pray today that there'd be no one that leaves here not a follower of you that you would take everyone's heart in this room and that for those of us who are followers of you now, that you would cause a great celebration uh, to happen even if it's in the recesses of our heart. Would you raise affections for Jesus today? Amen. All right, good news, good news. I'm so tired of the bad news. I remember Jim from the office, he did a, a little thing called, I think, some good news for a while at the beginning of COVID, then he sold it, and I haven't heard anything about it anymore. But we're so used to the bad news. You go on uh, CBC or CNN, or maybe you don't trust mainstream media, so you go on Twitter and your conspiracy theorists, whatever, okay? Um, we're so used to um, not good news, we're so used to hearing bad news all the time, but the good news that defines uh, followers of Jesus is that Jesus really is alive. On Friday, we were here in this room, and we walked through uh, Good Friday, and Good Friday is only good because of what happened and because Sunday comes. If there was no Sunday, Friday would not be good. But on Friday, Jesus was crucified, not just randomly, but he was crucified for you. 
and for me. We're going to be in the book of Mark this morning, which Stephen read from, uh, for us. And so I'm going to be reading from Mark 16, but I'm going to read a few, a few verses out of Mark uh, 15 as well. In 1539, it says, not the year 1539, Mark 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Now, I don't want to focus on the truly this man was the son of God. I want to focus on the fact that the centurion's job was to make sure that Jesus was dead. Romans were really good at killing people. They were executionists. Right? They made sure that as they took you off the cross, you weren't still breathing a little bit. Right? You were really done. And to make sure that they actually put a spear in Jesus' side and, and pierced the heart sack so that blood and water would have come out. A little graphic, I know. Easter bunny, blood sack, same thing, right? Um, just want to highlight the fact that Jesus was dead. And in verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. They saw that Jesus had been crucified on Friday, but on Sunday, we're going to see an open tomb. On Sunday, there's an apparent resurrection, and I say apparent intentionally. There's an apparent resurrection, and death itself seems to have been beaten for us. Jesus was crucified for us, and it seems that death itself was beaten for us. It seems like there's hope. And not that hope, that wishful thinking, oh, I, I hope they're in a better place. Oh, I hope that they're going to be okay. This word hope in the Bible speaks about confident expectation, that it's as good as secure. It's done. That's the type of hope that we are given. And so you could be coming in here this morning. I know I talk fast. On Easter, I get excited. I'm sorry. I'll slow down in just a minute when some of the adrenaline just wears off, okay? I only have to preach once today. Sometimes it's two, three, four times in a Sunday at different locations. So I have lots. I can put all my energy into this one, all right? You're getting it all. Um, there's one of three places that you could be this morning coming in here about the resurrection. The first is that you could be saying, he did it. I believe he did it. I'm here to celebrate. I'm overloaded on chocolate already. And I normally do that on Sunday. It doesn't have to be Easter. But I'm pumped that he did it. First place. Second place you could be. There's no way that resurrection happens. There's no way that resurrection happens. Dead people do not get up out of the grave. I've preached many uh, funerals. And I've never once hoped that that body sits up. Right? I mean... You kind of do, but they're all stitched up. Like, I don't need to get into all the details, right? Um, but you, you just expect that things are going to go a certain way that day, and you don't want for that to get messed up. Because we know that resurrection doesn't happen. So you might be here this morning saying, I, I don't believe in this, you silly Christians. You silly Christians. You should have done a master's degree. You settled for a bachelor's or your, or your secondary degree, Wh whatever. But it doesn't happen. And I want to speak to you in just a moment, because all of us have been there. The third place you could be is that, okay, maybe I believe this. Maybe I'm tracking with this. But how does the resurrection actually impact me? Other than getting like a three or four day weekend, how does this resurrection actually impact me? So what I want to do is I want to start with the last two that I just mentioned. Resurrection can't happen. And then how does it impact me? And hopefully we'll end with everyone being on the first. All right? So let me deal with the, the first group, which is really the second group. Resurrection can't 
happen. And here's the thing. Sometimes we read something of the past and we have this chronological snobbery, I think, that C.S. Lewis uh, called it. Chronological snobbery, which means we look back at people and we say, oh, you silly people. Have you ever watched a show from like the 90s and you're like, oh, I can't believe people dress like that. Like 1990s, not like zero 90s. But you're like, oh, silly people, right? We have this snobbery about us that, oh, we're so advanced in our, in our whatever. But here's the thing. People back then didn't believe in resurrection either. No one in history was believing that people were going to sit up in a casket or get up out of the grave. Jonathan Dodson says this, it was unthinkable for Jews that resurrection could occur in the middle of history apart from worldwide renewal. The Jewish people had a faith, some of them had a faith that they thought that there was going to be a final resurrection at the end of time, but not in the middle. People aren't going to be sitting up in their caskets in the middle of time. At the end, yes, but not now. So they didn't actually believe sometimes what we think they believed. Silly people believed in resurrection. No, they didn't. Here's why. Mark 16, verse 1 to 3. When the Sabbath was passed, so Saturday's over, they couldn't do work on the Sabbath as, as the Jewish faith prohibited them from that. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so, so that they might go and anoint him. They didn't have funeral homes in the day. You kind of did the anointing yourself. Verse 2, and very early on the first day of the week, so on a Sunday, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? It's very interesting, these, these texts, because it was the women that were the eyewitnesses of the crucifixion and death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, we have, or we're pursuing equal rights, you know, women, men, equal we're pursuing that as a society. But then that was not the case, really. Um, if you were a woman and you saw a crime go down, it didn't matter. You could not testify to that in court. You were an unreliable witness. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Canadian, so I can apologize for other people. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but that was, that was how it was. And so if this, and I want to say this, if this wasn't true, if they weren't really witnesses to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Mark, who wrote this book, would have been a fool to put them in there. Because he's putting unreliable witnesses, unless they were the only witnesses. Unless God chose to go against the cultural tide, which often he does, and says, you know who I'm going to reveal myself to first? The women. The ones that you're going to have a really hard time believing. I'm going to show myself to them. And so on Sunday, they buy the spices, they go to the right tomb, and their big question, I love it, is who's going to roll away the stone for us? That's what they're thinking. They're not focused on, ooh, I wonder if Jesus resurrected today. No one is thinking that. Jesus told his disciples several times, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise again. But they, they forgot that. It was like crazy talk to them. They couldn't process that in their minds. They forgot his promise. So let's go to verse 4. And looking up, so they arrive, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. I like these details the scripture puts in there. Like, I don't know why that was so important, but it is very large. So the women show up and they're worried about who's going to roll it back and it's someone's already done it. 
in the summertime, we're getting there. I would love to show up at my house and find out that someone has mowed my lawn. In fact, last year we went out way on vacation. We came back, I think it was two weeks, and there was a, two strips mowed into our backyard. So we think one of the, the neighbor kids gave it, a, gave it a go and then was like, nah, it's too hard. <laughs> right? But they show up and the, the grave is wide open. Now, if you're those women, what are you thinking? Are we at the wrong grave? No, they're not. They're not at the wrong grave. They, they saw him being put, put into, that, into that tomb. Did robbers come? Did robbers come and take him? No. Because in another one of the, the stories about Jesus' uh, death, they were afraid of this. In, in the book of Matthew, the, the religious leaders who were responsible for the death of Jesus were afraid that Jesus' followers were going to come and were going to put on a, a mock resurrection so that they could say, look how powerful our religious leader is and lead people away from the Jewish faith. And so they went to Pilate, who was responsible for putting Jesus to death ultimately, and he gave them a guard, which is about 16 soldiers. So there were 16 soldiers outside of Jesus' tomb guarding them. And if you tried to even go over there and like take a little pebble from that stone, you would have been killed right away. So could robbers have come? No way. That couldn't have happened. Was it a self-moving stone? Alexa, move the stone, right? I don't think that they, like chronological snobbery, right? Silly people didn't have Alexa. What did they do with life? How did they flip on light switches all by themselves? It's so hard, so hard to do. There was no self-moving stone. So the women are confused, obviously. Like, who would want to move the stone? Why would someone come and do this? And being in that state of confusion, they still didn't expect resurrection to happen. So let me get into verse 5 and 6. And entering the tomb. How many of you, if you see an open tomb, are like excited to run in there? These are brave women. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. That's like the understatement of the year, I think, right? You walk in expecting someone to be dead and you see a young man sitting, maybe eating Cheetos. I don't, I don't know, you know, like don't, they were alarmed. Yes, good. They were alarmed. Verse six, he said to them, do not be alarmed, <laughs> but we already are alarmed. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he is risen. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You see, no one expects the living to be inside of tombs. You have to be a weird type of person to go hang out inside of tombs. And so when they enter in, we actually find out that this is an angel that's, that's in there. And this angel is about to give them destabilizing news. It's going to wreck their worldview in a good way. And that's what Jesus often does. He takes our, our, our worldviews, our understandings of how we thought the world was, and he wrecks them, but it's always in a better way than the way we thought things were supposed to go down. And so they hear this destabilizing news. Oh, you're seeking a dead Jesus. Oh, you're seeking a dead religious figure. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. He's alive. He's active. He's moving. He's on the prowl for his people. 
And so the question for them and, and us in that, in that moment and this moment is if this is true, if this little man, this, this angel, if this is true, well, what does this say about Jesus? And what does this say about death? Now, I'm going to do a lot of work in a short few phrases, okay? So if you're like, I didn't fully understand that, I would be glad to talk to you more about this, all right? We're taking our big worldview that we believe and like shrinking it down into a few tweets, okay? Which is still not owned by Elon Musk apparently as of this morning. So, but here we go. Death. Why does death occur? Why does death occur? Well, according to scripture, okay, according to the Bible, death is payment, payment that no one wants. But death is a payment for rebellion against a creator. We were created to be and live and exist for a certain purpose. We went against that purpose. We said to God, we don't want you. We kind of gave him the finger in, in disobedience and rebellion and said, we want to live our own lives. We want to carpe diem for what we want. We want to live our own destiny. Let's move you out of the way. You, you can be on our side and we can be gods together at best. And God said, no. And in the Bible, there's, there's a verse that says the wages or the payment of sin, sin is rebellion against God, not just in what we do or don't do, but in our, in our thought, in our motives, in our hearts. And so the, the payment that you get, the little direct deposit that you get into your life is death, is death. See, and sin destroys us. Sin destroys us. But the good news is that Jesus came. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Jesus coming. And Jesus didn't sin. And Jesus intentionally went to the cross. He wasn't a victim of circumstance. He wasn't like walking into Jerusalem and they lay out a cross for him. He's like, what? I had no idea. You know, and like my kids sometimes watch uh, Bear Grylls. What's the name of the show? What is it? Running wild with Bear grills, And there was one that you could do like a choose your adventure thing. And it's like, do you want me to eat the rattlesnake poison or like jump off the cliff, you know? And, and Jesus didn't arrive and he's like, oh, I, I picked the wrong one. Like, let's back up like you can do with Bear grills and choose the other option. He intentionally went to Jerusalem to die. He lived all of his life perfect without sin for you and I. He lived a life like us, but unlike us. Like us in that he had flesh. We celebrate at Christmas the incarnation. Carne meaning meat, flesh, not vegan, right? Flesh. Became like us, but unlike us in that he didn't do the types of things that we do. He said no to things that were opposed to God and yes to things that were for him. Jesus never sinned, but as he went to the cross, which we celebrated on Friday, he took our debt against God onto himself. He bought us out in a sense. He bought out all our debt and said, I'm willing to forgive you everything. Just ask me. Just ask me. It's yours. It's not that you have to go climb that religious mountain. And, you know, in our city, we have some beautiful church buildings and they have these stairs. And in the summer, well, stairs aren't great in and of themselves, but... I'm still waiting for the hoverboard technology to become affordable, right? But they have these stairs going up to these churches. And 
And people are praying their way up these stairs. And they pray their way because somehow that makes them more right with God in their mind. But it was only Jesus who climbed the stairs. It was only Jesus who could climb the mountain high enough to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. You can't earn God's forgiveness or freedom, but it's given to you. It's a gift. Our kids walked upstairs and downstairs. We have them on different floors, so they converge on Easter candy this morning. And I wasn't sitting at the table with a, a tally sheet saying, I will give you this much candy if you do this many things. And if you don't do this many things. And at the end of the day, we'll see if you get any candy. No, it's just like, here, it's yours. Take it. Take it. This is what Jesus offers to us. And so Jesus dies in our place, but death couldn't hold Jesus. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 24. Acts is a book in, in the New Testament. And this is a sermon from Peter, which we'll look at in just a second. But Peter says, God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus never sinned, therefore Jesus didn't need to die. But Jesus voluntarily died in our place. And so Jesus could not be held by death any longer. And Jesus runs out of the grave on Sunday morning. And so because Jesus runs out of the grave, we know that death does not have to be the end. Jesus is. This is good news for us. This is like the slap shot goal, like, yes, Jesus wins for you and for me. And he offers us eternal life. And eternal life isn't some weird like nirvana thing, sitting cross-legged, thinking about nothing. Eternal life is looking at the face of God and being able to live. Right? Never having an end. Eternal value, meaning, purpose, joy, love, never being forsaken, never being forgotten, never getting COVID, never, never being pushed away, but an eternal embrace by God. This is what's offered to us. You get God. You get God. And at the end of time, we will rise to be with Jesus. Do you struggle to believe this? Do you struggle to believe this? You're in really good company if you do. The disciples who had followed Jesus for three years, they didn't believe. They wouldn't believe. Let me read you from Mark 16, verse 8. So the women, they went out, fled the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And this is often what I see in people as, as they start to understand that maybe the resurrection did happen and maybe it was really for them. There's trembling, like what's going to happen to life for me? And astonishment, like I didn't think that life could be this good, right? There's a mix of those. Trembling and astonishment had seized them and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And then verse nine. Now, when Jesus rose on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And here it is. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. They wouldn't believe it. The verse 12. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. They still didn't think that this was possible. But then Jesus reveals himself to them. Jesus shows up 
And in verse 14, listen to what happens. Afterward, he appeared to the 11, right? Judas had, had killed himself. He appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And Jesus showed up many times to many different people and here's the thing, he still does this today. Jesus reveals himself to people today. Now it might not be that he shows up like a hologram, like Tupac Shakur or something, but does anyone know who Tupac is anymore? I'm like dating myself. Okay, a few, a few. I don't know if that's a good thing that you know who he is or not. doesn't matter. Um, but Jesus, he's not going to show up like a hologram, right? But you know that he's there. Oh man, you know when he shows up. And I'll share my story at the end um, this morning. You know when he's there. He does the same he comes into hearts that don't believe in the resurrection and helps them understand that not only did he rise, but he rose for us. That he rose for us and that he is here. So my question to the first group of, of you is, do you actually want him? Do you want him? Do you want him to come into your life and change you? Have you been looking for forgiveness? Have you been looking for approval, looking for meaning, and looking for value that wouldn't go away, wouldn't be based on your merits? God himself came for you, died on a cross, rose from the grave, because he wants you. But do you want him? Do you want him? And I would say if you're still wrestling with the resurrection during this time, you can just check out from the rest of the things I'm going to say. Rarely do I give people permission to do that, right? But you can just check out and invite him. Invite him. Say, okay, Jesus, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me this morning? You have nothing to lose. No one knows you're doing this next to you. No one, there's no like crazy symbol that's going to hover over your head. None of that. You have nothing to lose. Say, Jesus, if, if you're real, if you're legit, would you reveal yourself to me? The second group, we'll be quick about this. The second group is asking the question, okay, maybe I believe in the resurrection, but how does it impact me? Let me read Mark 16, verse 7. Jesus, uh, or the angel rather, says to the women, but go, tell Jesus' disciples and Peter. He hones in on Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, probably most of you know who Peter is. If you've ever visited Rome, you know the basilica is supposedly, you know, built over the bones of, of Peter. I don't know that he would have wanted that, but nonetheless. Who is Peter? Well, Peter was the most mentioned disciple in really all of the New Testament, mentioned all the time. And he was so confident. He always made these like bold assertions. And he was confident in two different things just recently in the book of, of Mark. He was confident in his devotion. Jesus said, all of you are going to deny me and fall away. And Peter says, never. If I have to, deny, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. He was so confident in his devotion to Jesus. And I believe that's real. But he was also confident in his denial. When Jesus had been arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin, the, the, these, these religious leaders... And this little servant girl comes out and says, hey, hey, old man. He wasn't that old. He's probably about 20. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? And he's like, no, I never knew him. And then two other occasions, people come and ask him, hey, aren't, weren't you with Jesus? You're a Galilean. You're, you're one of them. And he invokes a curse on himself. He says, no, I never knew him. 
He was so confident in his devotion and yet confident in his denial. And so often we're like that, aren't we? Really confident that, no, today's going to be different. I'm really going to live for you, Jesus. And then throughout the day, we end up denying him in many different ways. And if you're Peter, Peter just denied Jesus, didn't get to have a conversation with him. Peter go, or Jesus goes and is crucified. If you're Peter and you're sitting in the Friday and Saturday before Sunday, what are you thinking? Man, I really screwed it up. I really messed it up. I can't believe that I denied Jesus. I can't believe that I didn't follow through with what I say I do. I'm the worst follower ever, right? We would go through that guilt and shame for the, the two days in between. And then when Peter hears about the resurrection, what would he be thinking? If he actually did rise, he's probably super ashamed of me. He would never want me around him. He would never want for me to be a follower. He would want, Jesus would want nothing to do with me at all. I don't even know that I dare show my face around him. I'm just going to be known forever as denying Peter. Jesus definitely wouldn't give me an Easter bunny filled with peanut butter. Definitely not. But here's the thing. The thing that Jesus is running is not the Santa Claus religion. It's not this, I see you and you're sleeping. I know when you're awake. I know if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Jesus says, I know you're worse than you even think you are. He told Peter, I know you're going to deny me. I know you're going to deny me. And so when the angel says, hey, here's a message from Jesus. Tell Peter, tell Peter to meet him in Galilee. What is, what is the proclamation to Peter? Peter, you are not your successes and your faults. Peter, you are loved. This is not about being good or bad. This is about resurrection, Peter. Jesus wants to see Peter and, and grab his face. Maybe pull him by the beard and say, Peter, I died for you. And you are forgiven. Peter, you were free. I knew you'd deny me. I saw you denying me. And you were completely forgiven. Peter, I love you. Peter, I went to the cross for you. You are infinitely loved, Peter. And I am not embarrassed at all about you. In fact, I'm going to tell your stories in Scripture because I want for people to hear for the millennia of your faithfulness to me. Imagine being Peter, my faithfulness to you. Peter, you came back. Peter didn't need to go to Galilee. Peter could have gone in shame and hung himself like Judas did. But instead he goes back to Jesus and Jesus restores him. And then he says, now go and tell of what I've done. You see, Jesus died and rose for people just like Peter. You see, the resurrection is for people like, like me. In like you, for people who just can't seem to get their act together. For people who are continuously being asked, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Everything is wrong with me. Why can't you get your act together? I don't know. Jesus says, I know you couldn't. So I came and I did it perfectly for you. You see, the resurrection changed Peter. It changed Peter significantly. He went from being a denier to chief proclaimer that Jesus is alive. The resurrection changed Peter. And Peter ultimately died. And church history tells us that when Peter was, 
was about to be crucified, he said, no way will I be crucified like that. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my master. Crucify me upside down. Right? Peter, Peter welcomed the suffering that came with following Jesus. Why? Because he believed in the resurrection and that death wasn't going to be the end for Peter. Peter believed what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death. This is like a mocking song. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter knew the victory that came because of the resurrection of Jesus. I know the victory that comes because of the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know the victory that comes because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? Do you know that? Not intellectually, but do you feel it in your guts? Do you know that hope? Do you have that confident expectation that you are loved and wanted by God. I meet many, many Christians as well who feel like God is, if, if God could look at them in the eye, that he would have a very disappointed face on. But God is not embarrassed to be called your God. God is not embarrassed for you to be called his people. He's not. He, he knows who we are. He knows what goes on inside of us. He knows our motives that are bent away from him. And he says, yeah, but I'm going to change you to be just like Jesus. And to be inside of the church, we are, we are the people of God. We're not a religious institution affirmed by the government primarily so we can give tax receipts, right? The church is the people of God. And the people of God and with the people of God, that should be the safest place to explore anything that you're going through. Anything. My goodness, if we knew the depth of one another, we would probably never want to be around one another, right? Be like, I didn't know you were that bad. It's like, actually, I don't even know how bad I really am, <laughs> right? And yet God says, no, I want to bring all these people together into the church, and I want for you to explore who Jesus is, and I want for you to find this to be the safest place. We talk about safe spaces, right? Especially in university campuses, oh, this is a safe space. Well, the church is the safest place because anyone Anyone can receive the gift of forgiveness. Anyone can receive the grace of God. Anyone can receive his mercy. This is the safest place to be, that you are welcome. And no matter what you're going through, man, we will walk with you. We will walk with you. Now, the third group that I talked about is those who say, Jesus' resurrection is for me. Easter, I wake up and it's a party. I realized uh, growing up, I don't know if my mom is watching this anymore. She knows this about me anyway. Growing up on Easter, I, was, I wasn't a follower of Jesus until I was about 22, but I was raised in a, in a family that loved Jesus. And every Easter, we'd have like ham and peas and potatoes. And I don't really like any of those three things. Um, and it, Easter seemed like this kind of, you know, boring thing in, in a sense. Not that they made it boring, but it seemed that way to me. And, and yet when we would celebrate the Super Bowl, because we would, it's like wings and like get wing sauce all over your face and ribs and pizza and everything that wasn't good for you. It's like, yes, celebration. And so when, when Jess and I got married, I said, hey, could we do one thing different? 
Well, what's that? I said, can we celebrate Easter with, with wings and pizza and ribs and beer? And could it be like a big party? And she's like, yes. Like my wife likes to party. So it was easy sell for her. But that's what we celebrate. Like I'm going to go home and eat way too many wings, right? This is what we're going to do. And if you're a vegan, then you can eat veggie patties until you pass out. I don't know your thing. But this should be the day of all parties, because deep down, everyone wants resurrection to be true. Everyone wants resurrection to be true. Because resurrection says, you get to begin again. These are, there's a fresh start for you. Every, the past is gone. And everything that we're going to do in the future that's wrong as well, that's already been forgiven too. Right? Clean slate completely. And I've never met anyone that's like, ah, you know what? I'm looking for a love that will last about three and a half years. It's like, no, I want a love that's never going to fade, right? Put a ring on it and say I do and, and stay with me forever. Or you look at your kids, you're like, I, I'm going to give you 18 years, but after that, you're on your own. I don't, like, no one says that, right? We want a love that never, ever fades. We want a love that doesn't die. And yet in this life, we keep seeing people die. We keep seeing things that we thought were going to bring us uh, our great fulfillment and hope. We see those things die. We see our hopes vanish. We finally get the things that we want. And we're like, oh, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. We're constantly disappointed. And yet the resurrection tells us that you don't have to be. Because you can have your hope in something that will not fade. There's a love that will never fade. There's an identity that you can have that can't be stolen. There's a value, meaning, and purpose that is given to you because of the resurrection. And the resurrection just screams. I won't scream this morning. But it screams that there's hope for the hopeless. It screams and, and comforts those who are broken by sin and circumstances of it. The resurrection declares that one day death is going to die. One day death will be a, a far and distant memory that will vanish over the horizon. And the resurrection screams that not only did Jesus do it all, but it's finished. Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. What I came to do is done. And anyone who will come to me will be forgiven and will be my people forever. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. Resurrection is an invitation at any moment for anyone into what you were made for. A relationship with a living God. My goodness, we pander to know people, don't we? We try, and, we try and network our way to the top of things. And yet we have the living God who says, I want to know you. I want to know you. And I don't want to use you. I want to fill you. And I want you to tell other people of what you're experiencing with me. You see, when we experience the living Jesus, what else is there to talk about? What else is there to talk about? And it's through the witness of the resurrection of Jesus that the forever, the forever of millions upon millions upon millions of people, their lives have been changed. We've experienced Jesus. Some of us in this room have experienced Jesus. 
And one day he's going to come back. And I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up, okay? I'm, I'm really trying. I'm wrapping up with this. Revelation 21, last book in the Bible. Oh, man, I, I can't wait for this. Like, I really can't wait for this. Revelation 21, this is when Jesus, he comes back again and he gets his people and he remakes the world. Listen to this. Then I saw, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city and new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And here it is. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, mankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And this is beautiful. God's going to do an individual ministry. It's not just like, I can't see, I can't see. I'm short, so I'm constantly trying to see over everyone, right? It's not that we're in this sea of people and that's it, but God does a personal ministry here. In verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Like the, the tears, I was thinking about certain things this morning and I'm crying at my house because death is still a thing. Death still impacts us. And one day God's gonna come up and he's either gonna wipe the last tear or he's gonna take out my tear duct. I don't know how that's all gonna work, but Tears are going to be no more, at least tears of mourning and sorrow, and death is going to be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Don't you want to be made new? Oh, don't you want for a fresh start? He's going to make all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. We talk about all these strands of coronavirus. Oh, this one's a Delta. And Jesus actually says, well, I'm the Alpha. Like, I started this gospel virus, and I am also the Omega. And I'm going to end, right? I'm trying to redeem the thing we're in, okay? Bad contextualization. But I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And to the thirsty... To the thirsty, do you thirst for meaning? To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my child. I can't wait. I can't wait. I lost my dad this past year in, in August, and this is the first Easter without dad. We played some songs that, that dad would play and annoy us with on Easter morning this morning to annoy my children as well. But my wife said to me at the, at the breakfast table, uh, she said, your dad is experiencing the best Easter he's ever had right now, right? And it's so beautiful, isn't it? Because this is true. It's not a wishy-washy, speculative, like, oh, I don't know, I hope, better place. It's that no, in the presence of Jesus, he is right now with all of the saints. To be a saint is to be a follower of Jesus. Has your life been changed by Jesus. My story is that I grew up in a Christian family. I understood religion. I understood do's and don'ts. I couldn't be a good little boy. I was a really bad boy. Um, I keep using boy language. I just, I wasn't good. Give me a rule, I would break it 100% for sure. Easier not to tell me what to do because then I wouldn't not do that thing, right? But that was my life. And I, I pursued hedonism as much as I could. I played baseball in university. I was in a fraternity, crazy college life. And uh, I just used people for what I could use them for and would dispose of them when I didn't have any need for them anymore. And when I was 22, I was sitting all alone in my apartment and uh, I had 
done a series of things I don't need to get into right now, uh, but I had just made a huge mess of my life. I was living with a guy who actually passed away a few weeks ago from a drug overdose, and uh, I left um, left being a roommate there because I didn't want to enter into life that I saw him going into. It was like a moral decision, not a godly decision. I just didn't want that. And, uh, and I'm sitting alone in my apartment, three in the morning, and um, the easiest way to say it is that it was like Jesus broke into my house. Jesus broke into my apartment. And I felt the, the lowliest, I felt, you know, I don't know what a scumbag feels like, but I felt like that. Like I wasn't worthy of love, that no one would even want me. And it was at that moment that all the things I learned about as a kid, it's like this fire just lit up. And, and I speak about it as like, it was almost like love. Like the whole room was full of love. And I was the most unlovable person in, in my opinion. And yet I knew that Jesus loved me. I knew that he came for me. I knew that this resurrection was for me. And I said a prayer that went something like this. And it was probably even half joking. Jesus, if you're real, I want you. Like, I, I will follow you. But if you're not, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. This will all be a funny story that I can tell my fraternity brothers. Uh, and it was like everything changed in that moment. Like, I had a new mind, a new heart. I desired to do things I didn't want to do before. And the next day I woke up early, kind of like a tomb thing. I woke up early, I drove from my fraternity house, and I told my fraternity brothers, I met Jesus last night. And they're like, you did acid. I'm like, no. I'm like, I am completely sober in every way. I met Jesus, and here's what he did. And two of my fraternity brothers became followers of Jesus, like that day. And one of them uh, messaged me a few weeks ago and is continuing to follow Jesus, right? That Jesus really breaks into people's hearts at the most unlikely times, in the most unlikely ways, and says, okay, now you're mine. Now you're mine. And I'm going to take someone that was pursuing everything opposite of me, and I'm going to ship you off to Montreal to go and tell people about who I am and what they've done. And you're not just going to tell them, you're going to show them how I've changed you. And you're going to speak about your weakness so that no one thinks that you intellectually or spiritually climb some ladder to arrive at this place. I'm a mess. I am still a mess. There are very broken things about me, but yet I am deeply loved. That there's no one in this world that Jesus loves more than me. And that that's true of you as well. That that's the hope that's offered out for us. And this morning, he wants for us to look into the empty tomb. There's no baggage waiting for you in there. Go in and if you work this off, then you can have it. It's free. Absolutely free. That you are wanted by God. So this morning, I'm going to invite the team back up. I don't have a, a little cup. I didn't, I didn't do that. So as I pray, could, could someone bring that up to me? We're going to respond. But would you let your heart explode in celebration this morning? Would you do that? Like, just let it. Let, let your heart explode and respond. Thank you, Juan. Because Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ is going to come again. And he wants you. Would you stand? And I'm going to pray. Jesus, you, you have conquered my heart. You've conquered my heart. And there's so many things in me that still fight against you. And yet you keep reminding me of how loved I am and that you're not going anywhere. And, and the same is true of all those who are followers of you here, that, that you have conquered our hearts, that you love us, that you're for us, you're not against us, and you're coming back for us. 
Thank you so much. I pray that you would reveal yourself, Jesus, to people who are here who don't yet know you. That this morning, people would be able to do what I did 18 years ago in an apartment all by myself and say, Jesus, I believe that you're real and I want you. And I want to follow you and I want your forgiveness. I need it. I'm all in. And thank you that you will send your spirit to dwell in them and that you will forgive them completely. And then would you cause, cause for all of us collectively to be able to celebrate who you are and what you've done. Would you take Montreal, which seems to be the least reached city in the Western Hemisphere and make it the most reached city in the world? Would you allow for there to be traffic on Easter morning because people are congregating uh, to, to worship you together? Would you allow for the gospel to go out in, in great numbers uh, so that many people from Montreal might be followers of you? We love you and we need you for everything. Amen.